I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and professor Wendy Suzuki, Ph.D. Her new book is Good Anxiety, Harnessing the Power of the Most Misunderstood Emotion. From a global pandemic to political unrest to climate change, the past year has been nothing if not stressful. For most of us, it would be difficult to describe stress and anxiety as a good feeling. But what if it could be? World-renowned neuroscientist Dr. Wendy Suzuki has found a way to unlock the potential of anxiety to be a benefit instead of a drawback and reveals that anxiety is not only essential for our survival, but also a key component of our ability to live optimally. She helps us understand how simple but powerful shifts in mindset and practical strategies can help us transform our social anxiety, fear of performance, or fear of public speaking into empowering assets. She serves as an expert for publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Shape and Health, and Her TED Talk was the second most viewed TED Talk of 2018. Welcome to the show, Wendy, Dr. Suzuki. Nice to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Well, just the title of your book, obviously, Good Anxiety, um, Harnessing the Power uh, of the Most Misunderstood Emotion, which I guess it really is. I'm just speaking for myself personally. When I think of the word anxiety, I think, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. I got to get rid of it. I I, I don't want to be anxious. This is not a good thing. Okay, so let's start with that, because I think that is a general feeling amongst many, most (laughs) of us. Yes, that is what I have found, which is why I, you know, put this title, uh, gave the book this title to kind of wake people up. How can anxiety be good exactly? Well, here's why I say anxiety can be and is good. It is because evolutionarily, anxiety and that physiological stress response that underlies it um, originally evolved to protect us. It is a protective mechanism. It is a mechanism that is, in fact, essential for our survival. And so, and now you're saying, well, I don't feel protected at all by my anxiety. What are you, what are you talking about? And um, the reason why we're not feeling protected by our anxiety is that Anxiety levels as a whole society these days uh, in the midst of this pandemic and particularly in the fall with people going back to work and school in uncertain situations, our anxiety levels have been turned way up in volume and too much of anything, even a good thing is bad. And so this high level of anxiety overall has really... um, lost, uh, it's made anxiety lose its protective power. And so the first part of the book is first, let me tell you why anxiety can be good evolutionarily, the protective aspect. And I give, I start out with so many different um, tools to help people turn that volume down. In fact, the whole last part of the book is a whole list of tools that anybody can, can use lots of different ways. Uh, maybe you have certain likes or dislikes. I tried to give something for everybody in um, immediate kind of medium-term and long-term kind of strategies that people can use. So let's talk about the productive, productive anxiety as opposed to anxiety yeah. that's not productive. And you're saying that now, particularly in the midst of all, it's still in the midst of this pandemic, we're just... Yes. The, 
Yeah, where anxiety is so high that it's not productive. So one of the things yeah. I like about your book, I have to say also, Wendy, is that you give really, uh, you give examples, you put a face on it. So let's do, can you yeah. do that when you're describing it so that we can all understand it? Sure. Okay. So um, let me... Um, uh, let me do uh, let me do one that everybody is doing that is um, going back to work for the first time or maybe you're you know you're helping your your child go back to school and there's a lot a lot of anxiety associated with it and um, so what I talk about in the book are tools to turn down that anxiety and kind of a, a more thoughtful tool. Well, actually, let me start with immediate tools because that's that's what people need right now. You know, I, I'm feeling anxious. Just can you give me something right now? And my number one tool for you go back to the office and it's a little bit weird and maybe there's too many people around for your liking um, and you're starting to feel anxious. The best way to quell those feelings of anxiety so you can become more productive is to activate your stress reduction part of your nervous system. I don't know if you realize, but we all have a stress reduction part of our nervous system. It's also called the parasympathetic nervous system. It is the part of the nervous system that's equal and opposite to the fight or flight part of our nervous system that we're all familiar with. That is the part of the nervous system that gets activated when there's stress and, and when there's anxiety. So how do I activate my, my um, uh, de-stressing part of the nervous system? It is simply by breathing deeply. Naturally, this part of the nervous system decreases your heart rate, decreases your respiration, and shunts blood from your muscles to your digestive and reproductive organs. And to start getting this going and to start to feel more relaxed, the easiest, best way to do this that you have conscious control over is deep breathing. It's no surprise that the oldest, most um, powerful form of meditation is breath work to get you into that calm space. And so simply, I I recommend a boxed breathing technique, which is um, breathing in on a four count, holding for four counts, exhaling for four counts, and holding at the bottom for four counts. And um, that is the best way uh, immediately you start to get in a a difficult situation to um, quell those feelings of anxiety. And and I'm going to stop you there because that's the example. I think that's a good example. Say going back to school, college, whatever it is, and you're sitting with 20 people thinking, oh, my God, am I going to get COVID from sitting here with all these people? Got it. Then start breathing as you described it. But what about taking it back when you're just thinking about being, I I don't know if this is thinking about being anxious, but actually you're getting ready to go to school and and you're like so anxious about actually getting there. Is that the same scenario or is that different? That is exactly the same scenario, which kind of that you put your uh, uh, finger on the uh, head of why anxiety is... um, is a bear to deal with. That is, you get anxiety in the situation itself. You're in the classroom, you're in your workplace, and you have feelings of anxiety. And you get anxiety just thinking about what that could be and all the you know, terrible things that, that might, you might find when you get into that classroom. And so you, it's, it's a double whammy. And so um, the, the breath work is great because it works both when you're thinking about it and you're starting to feel anxiety. You're not even in the situation. It can quell your anxiety, and it helps you in the moment. But let's go back. Let's step back to you're thinking about going back to work. You start to get anxiety. 
what is what happens when you start to uh, use the breath work to bring that anxiety down? Well, it gives you an um, opportunity to start thinking through what are your possibilities, what are your options in these different scenarios. Um, can you uh, try and find locations where there are fewer people? Um, uh, this is uh, what I call in the book using an activist mindset. It's really about using your creativity to think about possible solutions to this problem, not just, you know, all the worst case scenarios. Our, our creativity tends to work really well in those, in those uh, ways. But can we use um, our creativity in an activist way to think about the solutions to these, to these scenarios? It's one of, actually, we, comes to, um, uh, we come to one of the gifts that I talk about that anxiety brings us. And um, one of the gifts that comes exactly directly from our anxiety is a gift of productivity because what I talk about in the book is uh, the tool of turning that what-if list, what if this happens in the classroom, what if that happens in the classroom, into a to-do list. What are your solutions? What are five things that you might be able to do or talk to people about? And so um, this really, I can't take credit for this. This came from a conversation with a lawyer while I was writing the book and I was telling her that I was writing a book about anxiety. And she said, oh, well, I am a very high-paid and even higher-paid lawyer because of my own anxiety. And she went on to tell me that she takes all of her anxiety-induced what-if lists about her case. And she... um, crosses all the T's, dots all the I's, so that all of those possibilities that the other side might bring up, that the judge might bring up, she has covered. So she turns that into productivity. That can work really well in situations when you're preparing for uncertain, um, uh, uh, uncertain situation like a work situation or a school situation. And just go through those scenarios and use your creativity and try and um, come up with, with your possible um, um, alternatives. And I so, imagine um, when you do another, this, yeah. you continue to do this, it builds on itself. So when you, as you get into exactly. another anxiety situation, that's what your yes. brain is used to doing. You actually exactly. become a problem solver. But talk to us about the concept of learned helplessness, um, because mm-hmm. I think that, that I mean, I, as a social worker, I know that's critical in terms of yes. what I've had to learn about in, in treating clients or, 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 or uh, you know, individuals. So, okay, what is learned helplessness and how does that yes. fit into all of this? So learned helplessness is a situation where um, subjects get into um, a, a mindset that they can't do anything to, you know, it, it, it's not even worth an effort to do anything to get rid of the stress or the anxiety or the negative feelings coming out. And they just kind of they they float there. It was it was termed in uh, animal experiments where if you don't give um, uh, a rodent you know a way out of this pool that they're floating in uh, that they're they're trying to get out of, they just end up floating there. They they don't do anything. They give up, and that giving up is the act of learned helplessness that can come in situations of anxiety as well, and so. 
that is where that is kind of the, the the best definition of bad anxiety. You just have no energy to address it. There's you, you there's a giving up that takes place. And the activist mindset and using approaches of emotional regulation are the exact opposite of learned helplessness. It is using that activation energy and here, it, it, this activation energy, the energy that it takes to come up with creative solutions doesn't come from nowhere. You could actually use that same energy that comes from the feeling of anxiety and try and channel it and channel it into these creative approaches, these, these thoughtful ways to address um, situations um, systematically. And um, sometimes you might need some help to do it. So people go to therapists, People talk to their friends about it. This is, uh, I also talk about, you know, the, uh, the, the, the importance of social interactions. We are social beings and reaching out, particularly when you're, you're in a period of anxiety, n- not to, you know, not to anybody in the general public, but to your friends who, ha- um, who, who are your support network can be a wonderful way to start this process of talking through what are those possibilities? What are my possible solutions that I feel good about and that I feel I have kind of this new armor to go into any anxious situation with. Yeah, I I want to, uh, I think that talk about maybe where that comes from. I mean, there are some people who are, it seems, who are more prone to uh, suffer from what we call learned helplessness and maybe it comes from you know, you've had an abusive parent or an alcoholic parent or been in a situation as a child where you were helpless or you felt like you helpless yeah. or, in fact, you were and you didn't have control sure. over uh, over your yourself or your environment. And so I'm, I'm thinking about those people who also, the other side of it is, and I want to talk about your personal experience, if you've had a lot of support in, in your childhood and you've had supportive, yeah. loving parents it, it, it mitigates this kind of learned helplessness. And, um, yes. and I know in the book you talk about when you're uh, the most significant situation for you when you became anxious and stressed out was when an un- your brother died at, what, age 51 and uh, yeah. totally not uh, anticipated and how that affected you and actually propelled you on to be more productive in the end. Anyway, can you help, you know, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So that, that, that is um, really the origin story of this whole book. We had uh, written the proposal before and, and write the week that I was about to jump in and really write the meat of the book. Um, I had this terrible, you know, tragic event. My, my younger brother passed away completely unexpectedly. And um, so that, that, yeah, that was some anxiety there was great anxiety but but it was a grieving situation it was it was it was just so sad and i'd never kind of gone through those feelings before and and it was it was just so tragic and of course i couldn't write the book at this time but but i i started to heal and um reached out and and uh, to people and and got so much help and support which was helpful and um I, I bring this story up because it really changed the book for me. Uh, the book wouldn't 
have been this book if I didn't have this experience because as I was coming out of that grieving period, I was, I was working out, which is part of my, you know, morning routine, and the online coach that I had said, remember, you know, when you're working out, with great pain comes great wisdom. And that was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment, not because of my workout, but because of the situation that I'd just gone through. And I realized that with that great pain of, of the loss that my family and I had, had endured, came an enormous wisdom that was starting to reveal itself. And that wisdom was, was just a, um, a new appreciation of, of that I was so lucky to be there, that, that I was still there, that I had so many members of my family that were also still there. <clears throat> and that it, it, um, it kind of, I, I describe it in the book as this moment, like in the um, Wizard of Oz, where she walks out of Kansas and it, it turns into Technicolor in Oz. And it, it felt like that because I was coming out of grief, but it's like, oh my gosh, this, I, I, I feel so lucky, and, and I, I, it, it was a whole way to look at the world. And why did it change the book? It changed the book because I realized that, well, my own personal anxiety that I feel, my everyday anxiety, that is the focus of this book, is not nearly as, as deep a cut as, as the grief that I felt. It is still painful. It's still very uncomfortable. And I thought, well, if I could get this wisdom and new insight from, from this terrible um, grief, what can I wring out? What kind of information and wisdom and, and um, new insights can I wring out from my everyday anxiety? And I kind of went on a mission because I needed as much wisdom. I needed gifts. I needed superpowers from from my own anxiety, and that's how I came up with the whole core of the book, which is the gifts that come from your own anxiety. And, um, and they were there, and I'd, I would never have revealed them in that way had I not had that experience right in the middle of, of bringing this book to life. And what does that say about your resilience? Because we haven't talked about resilience yeah. So I I have a lot of resilience. I I know I I recognize that in myself. I um um and part of that resilience is learned resilience because I recognize also that that I've gone on a journey. I used to be my own worst critic. Particularly, I talk about a period where um, I was going through a lot of anxiety when I was uh, trying to get tenure at New York University, and um, my own worst critic. And nothing is good enough. I wasn't working hard enough. You know, my writing wasn't ever good enough, and um, I have really shifted my own strategy with my own self uh, to really be much nicer to myself, much kinder to myself. And every single time I get through a difficult situation, I give myself a high five. I, I acknowledge that moment of resilience. And I, I, I would never give myself any credit unless it was like a really, really big thing. So like once every five years, you know, okay, maybe you did pretty good. Um, so completely different. And um, the resilience that I personally have from coming out of that, that tragic event, um, that is not uncommon. I'm not the only person that, that has lost her younger sibling. Um, um, that resilience comes from a... Um, 
acknowledgement that uh, being kind to yourself and kind of acknowledging um, the 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 power in coming through any difficult situation is so important for our long-term kind of mental health. So, and now we're talking about, obviously, that's your personal experience. Now we have a global yes. experience. We kind of touched on yes. the example of uh, yeah. the pandemic and COVID. Now we're, we're all coming out of this, this, this grief, yes. this loss, um, and yes. coming from very different places. So yeah. you talk about how to handle languishing, because that really kind of struck home with me, sort of mm. this, um, you call it the dulling of, of delight, like, okay, we have a vaccine, things are, we think, going forward in a positive way, but there's that but. And I'll take myself, for example, I mean, I'm not a person who gets depressed, but I've noticed every new experience doesn't have quite the delight that it did because things have changed, Mm. whether, you know, my own, yeah, so, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, that that is such an important concept, um, languishing, and and things don't seem quite as bright um, after all of this time inside. And I think that first thing to do is is recognize it. Do do you see that in yourself? And if you do, you know that's the first important step. What can you do to bring those moments of delight to yourself? And so for that, I turn to the chapter that I wrote on flow and finding more flow in your life. And my solution to finding more flow in a time of anxiety and a time of languishing is to change the concept of flow because the classic definition of flow is you are practicing something that is a highly, you know, highly developed skill in yourself. And, and when you're at the highest level of performance, maybe you have the best performance of your life and then you have flow. Well, I was like, okay, I'm never going to have flow. This is a, like, I don't want this to to be a once every 25 year event, I, I would prefer flow, you know, much more often. And so um, I came up with this term microflow. That is a term made for the time of the coronavirus pandemic, because I was in, um, and I wasn't in a yoga class during the pandemic, but I came up with this. Um, when I was appreciating a yoga class that I had gone to and I had done really well in the yoga class and there I was in the pose that I do the best in the whole canon of yoga, which is Shavasana, the corpse pose. I was doing it so well and um, I was appreciating the, the, the skill with which I was just laying on the ground there in Shavasana. I was in this great, you know, I just got so relaxed and I thought, you know, this is flow. This is my definition of a moment of micro, not regular flow, but, but I coined the term micro flow in my life. And um, the other way that people talk about it is um, to, to, really, um, um, to really relish the moments in your life that are good and kind of reappreciate those. And so I've been doing that to help my own uh, um, to, to, to get away from languishing. So what are those moments in your life that, that you can really enjoy, whether it's um, that you make a wonderful smoothie and you really enjoy the taste of that smoothie, or you take a little bit more time and um, make that cup of coffee the perfect kind of 
strength that that you just love and put the perfect amount of of uh, creamer in it so that it is it is so delicious. And now that's um, a challenge. <laughs> that's, <laughs> it is. Perfect it coffee, is. yes. The perfect cup of coffee. Can you can you make that? I I enjoy and I appreciate a moment of microflow literally every morning because I um, I practice a, a tea meditation every morning. After years of kind of finding my form of meditation, guided meditation, it would only work for a little while. Everybody's whatever hum meditation, all the different things I tried. But then I met a monk who introduced me to tea meditation which is meditation over the brewing and drinking of tea. Not tea bag tea, but real loose leaf tea. And for me, that got me immediately because there was a ritual involved. You boil the water, you seep the tea, you pour the tea, you drink the tea. And that ritual just got me, it it just sucked me in to this meditation. And I do it literally every morning. Um, and so in other I, words, you it, get involved yeah. in the process. I mean, most people yes. or many people run to the wherever they buy their coffee or tea, two minutes, some, you know, pay for it, get out of there and run. So you're saying yes. it's not just the tea, but it's the whole process of getting to the tea that calms yes. you down, that relaxes you, exactly. that gets rid of some of that anxiety. Exactly. There's so much more to talk to you about, but I can't, we only have three minutes left. So, <laughs> uh, uh, because the book is great, uh, you know, it's, it's not, as, as I say, you. not just scientific or philosophical, real life no. uh, examples, including your own, but also yes. there are th- very specific ways of helping you to achieve good anxiety. So the title yeah. of the book is Good Anxiety, Harnessing the Power of the Most Misunderstood Emotion, which I totally agree with. Um Give us web, well, TED Talk, websites uh, we can go to for more information about the book, about you and your work and what you're doing. Absolutely. For the book, go to goodanxiety.com. Find everything about the book, the, the book, the audio book. Everything, all the, all the podcasts I've done about the book. Um, for me, <coughs> excuse me. you can go to wendysuzuki.com and find out about my TED Talk my courses, um, oh. <clears throat> and everything. Okay. Well, can you take, uh, can, well, if you're not enrolled at NYU, can one take courses from you as, <clears throat> um, I mean, as a regular sorry. full-time student? If you're no. choking, you if you're not a regular full-time, full-time student, the best thing to do is go to wendysuzuki.com and I have so many full-length talks there about my exercise work, about uh, there are lots of great conversations about you know hour long conversations about good anxiety, including this one that will be posted hopefully on uh, there, and um, uh, that's 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 the best way right now. Okay, that's great. And I've gotten into Audible books now. I love it. Speaking, I don't know if you're yes. really supposed to be doing this, but when I walk, which is supposed to, because we didn't mention exercise, but ha- that also helps to mitigate bad anxiety. I also yes. listen to audibles. I guess I can listen to yours anyway. I don't know about, maybe yeah. there are some I shouldn't be listening to. Um, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for being on the show today. It was really great having you, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Thank you, Catherine. It was a pleasure. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 